Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You okay? Uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. This is never, never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. Okay. Uh, well, I should probably get out of here. Be safe. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> This is breaking news. We come to you now with revelations about last week's attack in London. An anonymous source provided this video. It shows Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio, moments before his death. A warning, you may find this video disturbing. I managed to send the elemental back to the dimensional rift, but I don't think I'm going to make it off this bridge alive. Spider-Man attacked me for some reason. He has an army of weaponized drones, Stark technology. He's saying he's the only one who's going to be the new Iron Man. No one else. Are you sure you want to commence the drone attack? There will be significant casualties. Do it! Execute them all! The shocking video was released earlier today on the controversial news website, thedailybugle.net. There you have it, folks. Conclusive proof that Spider-Man was responsible for the brutal murder of Mysterio, an interdimensional warrior who gave his life to protect our planet and who will no doubt go down in history as the greatest superhero of all time. But that's not all, folks. Here's the real blockbuster. Brace yourselves, you might want to sit out. Spider-Man's real... Spider-Man's real name is... Spider-Man's name is Peter Parker. What the... The world outside your window's still not great, but hey, it could be worse. You could be Peter Parker and everybody in the world knows you Spider-Man, as is the case here in Spider-Man Far From Home, at least at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home with the with the return of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. And I'm Josh Wiggler, and I'm joined here by Kevin Mahadeo. And Kevin, I think when you and I first started talking about, like, what are we going to do after the MCU rewatch? We're like, well, J. Jonah Jameson is in Spider-Man Far From Home. That kind of leads nicely into the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. What we didn't know at the time also, Kevin, though, is like, is Spider-Man 3 in the MCU going to be some sort of multiverse bullshit? So, like, there is so much to talk about today as we are doing this literal, like, Spidey swing from MCU to Spidey Roots uh, cinematically. Really excited about all of this, Kevin. That's right, Josh. I don't want any more talk about what we're doing next for podcasting. We're just going to get more Spider-Man movies. Get me more movies Give out me Spider-Man. More Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Kevin, I'm so pumped. I'm so happy to be here talking about this movie and like also just like now segueing into talking about I guess we now have like four podcasts at least in a row that we could talk about J.K. Simmons' J. Jonah Jameson. Which is just the best thing. I mean, I could talk about, <laughs> I could just do a J.K. Simmons podcast, just all his roles, and then just talking about him. Uh, one of the podcasts dedicated specifically to him as the voice actor for the Yellow Eminem. Just, I, I would be down for doing that. I love it's that actor. Tenzin. Yes. Tenzin, shout out to, to, to Zach and Jake on Avatar, uh, on Ang In There, the Avatar podcast, where some, 
glimpses ahead at Legend of Korra. If you're not listening to that podcast, J.K. Simmons was Tenzin. Of course, I'm a big Oz guy, and he played like the worst human being in the history of human beings. Actually, there's probably worse people, but he's horrible. He's a nightmare person. He's also a nightmare person in uh, Whiplash, which is a phenomenal film that I actually really love. I haven't seen Oh, my God. Josh, here's what what I'm going to tell you. Don't tell anyone. The only whiplash I know is the one who wants his bird. That's that's the worst whiplash. He wants his he wants his bird. If you're you're doing Cora, so I have to recommend that you watch Whiplash and then I will send you a link because someone took all his aggressive lines from Whiplash and dumped oh, and them into them to Tenzin. Tenzin. And it is the funniest <laughs> thing. It had me like All right, well, we'll, just tears on my face. It was so good. We're gonna have, we're gonna have a lot of time to talk about J.K. Simmons, which is really the only reason we're doing this podcast. No, there's plenty of other reasons we're doing this podcast. We are closing out our MCU rewatch here officially with Spider-Man: Far From Home, but it is also the staging ground for the next phase of the Everything Is Super podcast, where we're gonna spend some time with the Spider-Man movies for the next little while. And we think that it's going to time out pretty much to exactly when Disney Plus is going to drop WandaVision. There may be some overlap, maybe a missing week in between. If there is a missing week, there you go, Kevin. Very easy to just do everything as Simmons. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, a, yes. Just a very random J.K. <laughs> Simmons appreciation episode. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be getting into all things Spider-Man. This is actually my first opportunity to talk about like the MC you spider-man in specific in like a very dedicated way because i missed the spider-man homecoming podcast so i'm pumped about that there's just i don't know uh there's mysterio there's jake gyllenhaal there's zendaya there's just a thousand different things going on here that i am uh remarkably excited to talk about here uh i love spider-man far from home and i love spider-man's aunt as well <laughs> i mean she's marissa tomei she loves bald quirky men <laughs> that's I guess, all i ever I will say about thing. like I, I i just have to say it now i just love seinfeld and that bit in seinfeld has never left my head about marissa tomei loving bald quirky men <laughs> she's incredible all right let's uh before we get into it i want to thank a, a sponsor for this episode of the podcast those are our friends over at progressive support for today's episode comes from progressive insurance Fun fact, Kevin, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch, and once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support on online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. So get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. And Kevin, what a situation we have to talk about here. Summer vacation, Euro trip, Spider-Man in all the cities in Europe and Peter Parker and the blip, all the things far from home, epilogue to Infinity <laughs> Saga. Uh, I don't know. I ran out of gas towards the end of my well, song. It's, it's but, like this uh, movie doesn't even start off with that immediately, though, right? Like, Because we get introduced, reintroduced in a way to uh, Nick Fear and Maria Hill, who are two people we haven't really 
seen in an extended capacity in quite some time. So it was really cool to like kind of get a glimpse right back at them. And then Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio immediately showing up um, and fighting this weird monster uh, before cutting to the school. And as cool as it was, I will say to be like, Oh man, Nick Fury. Oh man, Maria Hill. Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal already. He's already Mysterio. It's not even an order. It was just going in. None of that. None of that hits the level of the pure, amazing, brilliant cinematic quality of the high school morning announcements. I will never get tired of that sequence. Like those two talking about it. I would watch a web series that is uh, Betty. And I don't know what the other guy is like recapping. Oh, yeah, I forget his name. Uh, the, the, like the, the events of the MCU, like people love Luis and I love Luis, but no, these, these high school morning announcements well, just take get me Luis back to a place. On the, they should get Luis on the show. Like Stefan was on weekend. Oh update. my God. That would be incredible. He's like the Stefan <laughs> of, uh, of the, of the morning, uh, the, the morning, Marvel, show. call us. We're we're willing to help you with this. Let's <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> um. So you you raise a lot of interesting stuff and and like the the opening of the movie, especially like the school stuff and like the in memoriam for Iron Man <laughs> and Captain America and Black Widow and Vision and all of that is is uh, super. It's both like it's very funny but also sad. I remember watching it in theaters the first time, being like, oh man, <laughs> I'm not ready to laugh at this yet. Uh, but like I was laughing laughing in spite of myself uh, in spite of myself um i i love all of that stuff i think the very first scene of the movie is a big piece of my thesis statement for spider-man far from home this is a great marvel cinematic universe movie i love this as a marvel cinematic universe movie um as a spider-man movie there's definitely great spider-man stuff in here but i think like if it, in the battle between this and homecoming for me it's definitely homecoming over far from home for a lot of reasons but i think that homecoming feels like more of a straight spider-man movie with some mcu elements in it Although it definitely does have MCU stuff in it that makes it even lean. I don't know. The balance between the MCU Spider-Man movies being an MCU movie versus being a Spider-Man movie for me is not something that they've necessarily. It might not even be something that they like totally care about, but I don't think that it's something that they've fully reconciled. And I think it is uh, especially notable for me here in Far From Home. It's not necessarily a complaint. It's an observation. It's, you know, it's it's a it's a piece of the of the movie for me. And it's like something that you have to ultimately accept, I think, or at least that that's my feeling on it. It's like I ultimately have to accept that this is more an MCU movie than it is an outright Spider-Man. Movie. I don't disagree, but I do have like counterpoint feelings of a sort. Like, I think you're I mean, like I, I love Homecoming more than, than Far From Home. I think Homecoming is definitely my fave of the two. Home, I, I gave Homecoming a six, despite some people giving it a five point nine. And I stand by it. I love that movie so much. It 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 is one of the things uh, recently that got me into Spider-Man in a way that I had never been before. Um, and Far From Home helped. And there's other factors. And we can talk more about this as we go through the Spidey um, rewatch. But um it's weird because I understand what you're saying, right? Like there's so many elements from the greater MCU that plays into this movie. Tony Stark being a huge one because of the, the presence that he has in this movie is massive. Despite the fact that he's not in it. Um, he is everywhere. He's literally everywhere. And when Peter keeps saying, I see him everywhere and the audience does too. There's so many images of, of, of Iron Man all around and Tony Stark, but yes, I think we, I think we feel this because it is, 
we're coming off the MCU. It's 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 tied into the the greater storytelling Marvel's doing. But I think back to to some so like Spider-Man comics of of old. I think back to the Spider-Man cartoon series from the 90s. And in, when I watched that as a kid, they would pull in stuff from the Marvel universe like the punisher would show up nick fury was there constantly like you had these moments like in the comics especially marvel did such a weirdly crazy awesome job back in the day where everything took place in new york and you would have a spider-man comic where he'd be swinging around new york and he'd swing by the baxter building the fantastic four weren't in this issue but he'd swing by the baxter building if he hailed a cab moon knight is driving it if he had to hire a lawyer guess who it's matt murdoch and eventually it was going to become um uh, She-Hulk as well. You know, th- those are the ways in which the, the comics used to play. And it was really cool. It wasn't as event driven as it is now. It was kind of like these Easter eggs, but it, it was really fun. And the cartoon series did very similar where you had these things where these characters showed up. Um, and in that extent, it did to me feel like a Spider-Man film and not just like an MCU film. I, I guess the line got blurred for me because it's of really it. It's really interesting. Um, so like, yeah. I, I get what you're saying because it t- did tie into the MCU, but it felt more more than Homecoming. This one felt like something out of the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. And I really love that. I, I really, it, it really hit me in my nostalgia feels, um, which was really cool. I think that that's a really uh, compelling point because now I'm thinking about the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which is what I was thinking about as you were saying that stuff. And if you didn't watch the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, uh, I think it's got to be on Disney Plus. I I think it's on Disney. I want to say yes. I know the X-Men one is. The X-Men cartoons are. I I would hope that the Spidey ones are uh, as well. Those I loved that show so much. Um, As I've said before, like when it comes to like Marvel and DC superheroes, DC superheroes, especially um, my entry point for these characters is either you know movies or television um and and often cartoons like for the x-men 90s x-men kid like that was that was my jam spider-man too uh and as i'm thinking about uh what you said about spider-man like i am thinking about like it, i believe it's like the man spider episode where spider-man turns into man yeah. spider and like Punisher Punisher is part of yeah. that um i think is is morbius involved in that as well the living vampire i feel like he might have something to do with that i know blade gets blade down is definitely in it like there's so many people from from uh the the various shows that showed up i want to say there may have been an x-men appearance briefly but i'm not 100 percent on that i know in the in the 60s spider-man and amazing friends there was an x-men crossover with the i believe the x-men from prior to the x-men but um yeah it, you had that right like it's just so wild like daredevil definitely it's a very up. good point and, and like you know we're, we're we're gonna be talking about into the spider-verse like Kingpin is often talked about as a spider-man bad guy as much as he's talked about as a daredevil he's very bad much guy. a spider-man I, bad guy in the 90s cartoon for sure he was and he was he he is in into the spider-verse when mm-hmm. we when we get there as part of our spider-man series i think he's the first bad guy in the spider-man video game that came out relatively yes. recently or he's a bad he's, guy he's the first that. one you fight I think like the idea, uh, what you've just sold me on very quickly. Uh, so great job, <laughs> man. Uh, it is like this idea that, uh, like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, like the part of that is like that he's part of the Marvel cinematic neighborhood. You know, like he is, he is like bobbing and weaving through so much of the Marvel universe, whether it's the cinematic universe or not, which I think is going to be something that's really interesting to explore, um, as, uh, it would appear 
it, and we're doing, you know, guesswork at this point. This could become like very, very, very dated stuff, you know, <laughs> not terribly long from now. Um, is this idea that maybe because this movie flirts with the idea of a multiverse, it ends up being like uh, Psych Bazinga, you got bastard. He's, you know, it's mysterious, mysterious punking someone who we believe is Nick Fury, but isn't Nick Fury, so isn't up to snuff to handle like Nick Furyisms. Uh, it's actually just Talos the whole time, which is another thing to talk through. Um, that I, I, I feel like as as we're leaning more towards a direction of like maybe the idea of Spider-Man, you know, the advantage of having Tom Holland Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that we get to use him as sort of like a, a street level entry point into or like a like a normal every person entry point into a lot of like these bigger picture concepts like uh, getting us like warmed up for whatever is going to happen in Spider-Man three here with like the elementals, right? Which are just ultimately drone magic shows, part of barf, uh, you know, Mysterio's whole thing. Um, but like queuing us up so that when we get to Spider-Man three, and Tom Holland's Peter Parker is inevitably hanging out with Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and Doctor Strange and whoever the hell else is going to show up. And we don't know if those Spider-Men are going to be in it, but you think it's a possibility. At least Jamie Foxx's Electro is going to be in there and he was in another one. What the hell is going on? And like maybe we're like kind of like primed for that at this point. And this thing that feels like it's going to exist specifically because of like corporate shenanigans, which is absolutely true. This is going to exist because of corporate shenanigans because of like the shared parenting uh, of Spider-Man in you can't quite call it like the divorce of Disney and Sony but it's like that it's that idea uh, that like you know you get him on Mondays Wednesdays and Fridays uh, I get him on Tuesdays and Thursdays and we switch weekends uh, you know like there's there's like this thing that's going on where Tom Holland Spider-Man is very clearly going to interact with the stuff that's just at Sony Tom Hardy is Venom Frickin' Jared Leto is Morbius, whatever. Um, and the MCU has, like, primed us for that stuff to a degree. And Far From Home, I think, like, pushes that further by ingraining him with uh, with Nick Fury, with Maria Hill, with S.H.I.E.L.D. specifically. Um, and, and making Happy Hogan such an essential part. And for this version of Spider-Man, the Uncle Ben story of like, uh, you know, I, I wasn't there for him. I couldn't protect him or whatever it is. The Uncle Ben story for Tom Holland, Spider-Man is Tony Stark. Uh, and so like they're still kind of like hitting those emotional beats uh, that are of a more, quote unquote, classic uh, Spider-Man story. So I don't know. You, that's a lot of word soup, as, as we like to say around here. But I, I think that uh you got my web spinning, um, Kevin, with what you yeah, said. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you said in terms of, like, what we could be uh, primed to experience, what they could be trying to do. I mean, obviously, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff in terms of, like, how they have to split the sharing is accurate. My one big comment is, uh, running off your analogy about shared parenting, I just feel like if we, if that, if to extend that outwards, if one parent uh, did what they did, to Spider-Man, as we will be seeing in this rewatch <laughs> with their uh, Spider-Man 3s and Amazing Spider-Man's 1s and 2s, I feel like they would lose custody of that child <laughs> and it would go to the parent who has done that child well. So I yeah, just want to say... <laughs> would, it would enter into evidence uh, into the Spider-Verse. 
yeah, that's like the uncle who came in and the parent was just like, just watch him for a weekend, okay? And then they did, and the uncle did really well, and then they coasted as if, well, I, like, hired the hunk uncle. Like, I, it was our decision <laughs> to ask Uncle uh, Phil, and, uh, you know, to... to, 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 to uncle Phil. Uncle Phil and Chris. Oh, man. To, uh, to, yeah. to watch the kids. So, like, it's on us, right? Like, we get credit. Also, our other uncle did Venom, right? You, he did a good job, and we're like, I kinda? He didn't, the kid, did, the guess, kid didn't maybe. die, so I suppose he did a good job. Like, that's, that's my analogy yeah. here for this. So, yeah, I, uh, the evidence yeah, is suspect. Yeah, but as suspect. we also know, <laughs> as we also know, the, that's, you know, that doesn't always fly in court. The wrong <laughs> rulings true. sometimes nope, yeah. are made, yep. uh, dis- despite all uh, rationale and what- whatever. Let's get yeah, out of let's, that. Let's move away. Move uh, away. Back away. <laughs> move away. Uh, hot stove. Hot stove. Uh, my, my, my Peter Tingle tells me I shouldn't go there. Um, but I just think I think that that's all really interesting. And um, because I haven't had a chance to come on here and like process my thoughts on Spider-Man in the MCU, I just think that that's a really great take. Uh, that's a that's a great take and like really does bring me back to that like nostalgic thing of like the cartoons certainly and then like my cursory memories of like spider-man comics that i've read certainly like even like some of the most controversial ones right like um what's the they one get, where they, he make literally makes a yeah, deal with the br- devil, brand new day right? that oh, you know oh. <laughs> yeah i know you know and like dr strange is he not involved he is in some involved in that oh my god i could i could do a separate podcast about my raging feelings about brand new day but well you know we we may want to like you know touch on some of that or one more day one more day brand new day was good one more day brand new day was the branding that they, they did, did afterwards after and that dance day. lot stuff i i enjoy like a lot of that stuff i did like um zeb wells i think was right there was some good stuff but the one they more day spider-man mm. into an into an avenger and like the yeah. you know the mid to early aughts uh you know the early to mid aughts so like you know they, they've they've done this um so i i think i think that that's all fair and then to just like turn it into like um how is this as a movie that focuses on tom as peter uh it's great yeah. it's excellent it's it's really really fun it's very sweet uh you know the whole story between him and mj uh and zendaya is just remarkably great in this uh when she shows up she's like i brought this mace <laughs> it just in <laughs> case at the end like there's there's so, like they are like the the best the two of them together uh and i think also just like this whole idea of um who is the next Tony Stark as far as this being an epilogue to the infinity saga. So it, it operates on these two different levels of both like interacting in a, in a meaningful way with everything that's just happened and everything that's happened long before, even by bringing in the guy who got reamed out by Jeff Bridges from Iron Man, AKA Ralphie, you'll shoot your eye out uh, back into the universe through this movie. Um, while also, Basically, you know, the mission statement is like there isn't going to be another Iron Man. And I think like the big visual representation of that for me in the movie is like that scene at the end on the bridge where Spider-Man like does like he's wearing a suit that's made possible by Stark Industries. He has uh, a shield. Mm -hmm which is evocative of Captain America. And he has like a swinging twirly thing, which is evocative of Mjolnir. And he sciences the shit out of all of it, which I guess you could say is like the Tony Stark cleverness, but that's Spider-Man. And he's putting all of that shit together. He's putting the Holy Trinity of the MCU up to this point of the Avengers 
altogether in one package and skyrocketing himself up towards success. Um, like that really resonated with me this time. And I think it's just like an incredible visual, really, really super well done. Um, yeah, it just, just really great that this is a way that it in, in that way, um, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like eating my earlier words already that like, I think that this is a movie that's both like really great within, um, the MCU, but works really well as like, what does it mean to be Spider-Man? You know, you're not just the next Tony Stark. Kid. Right. And I think like the, the movie is phenomenal at doing that and, and setting up Peter and who he is and what he's going to be standing for. Because, you know, people talk about Spider-Man as like the best of the, of the Marvel universe. He, he embodies so much of it and like what it stands for. You know, he's got Cap's heart. He's got, you know, Tony's intelligence. He's got like power that is, is <laughs> very, very high for his street level hero-ness. Um, so there's a lot in there with Spider-Man as a character and, and what makes him great. And I think we do see that reflected throughout because we, we get all the Spider-Man stuff in this movie, right? We, we talked about it earlier, but like, yeah, that idea of like going on a school trip to Europe and his biggest concerns is how he's going to talk to MJ. Um, there's just so much that, that, that really touch on what it is to be that character. The, the, the idea of wanting to have your personal life go okay and having all these quote unquote professional problems coming in um, that struggle that pull and 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 push you know is, is all prevalent um, in this and I think it works so well and um, yeah and I gotta say too by the way the, that beginning where he's talking to Ned about like what he's gonna do he's like I'm gonna go to this bridge and I'm gonna I'm gonna have the black dahlia like that just reminded me of myself in high school and my it reminded me a lot of you as yeah well. and my old self sucked I hated that person <laughs> so like it uh, it was such a weird. <laughs> weird uh well, thing. Right, it reminded me very specifically of uh of the process of of you getting the engagement ring <laughs> for your now fiance yes. robin which i was a part yes. of so like i remembered like all of, like all right so here's the plan i'm gonna go and do this and you're gonna have to help me get out of here so that we can like sneak away and do all this stuff there's gonna be an elaborate ruse and uh, except unlike ned i wasn't like that's a terrible idea i was like no that's right. great Let's but here's the thing the right like that's great because like as an adult now who has grown up those those type of things are good when you are with someone that you have established a relationship with and care about. And I think grand gestures can be great, but you shouldn't position. And this is just all from experience in my own head is growing up now. Uh, you shouldn't position this grand gesture as like the thing to make the big reveal that you then should get the, the, the you deserve now to be liked by this person. Like confront the yeah, feelings. Yeah, but as a fifteen year old oh, kid, whatever, however old he is, like this, you have this is a lesson you learn through experience. Exactly, and I learned that lesson <laughs> several times over yeah. about le- the sort of mentality I had and what was wrong with it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, but I loved it because it does feel real. I think that's what it comes down to. Is that it does feel like a 15 year old kid and we talked before about how well i talked before about how homecoming was great because it felt the teenagers felt very like real to me like it felt very high school um in a way that felt more modernized uh than a lot of other whole uh, high school things we've seen um and i think that carried through here as well um along with having just like sad sack teachers and hilarious teachers uh that that we get i'm doing my best I julius i'm doing my best julius and his <laughs> wife pretended to blip out because she ran away <laughs> Well, that's a great segue. Um, so this movie is the first movie to follow Endgame, and it deals with the aftermath of people coming back from Hulk snapping them back into existence. Uh, we, we don't call it the snap. We call it the blip. Um, and we are, you know, now dealing with basically all of the real main characters from Homecoming must have blipped out. You got to imagine. Um, 
And so they're able to like go off on a summer vacation and still be the same age. And like, there's some funny little gags with that. Like the kid who aged Brad. five years, <laughs> Brad, who's like a total turd. Um, but does the movie do enough to engage that idea of like the heaviness of blipping out and blipping back and like the trauma that that must have incurred for the people who blipped. I mean, think about Peter Parker's final words before he blipped out. I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. I don't feel so good. All of those kids in this movie experienced that and they seem to be doing pretty well. They seem to be fairly well adjusted to the post blip life. Um, and so this might be a thing that like sticks in my craw a little bit that like I think like there's probably to some degree they have to play it a little bit quietly if they want to make a release date that is close in proximity to Endgame, but also like not spoil Endgame to the degree that they were able to you know protect those secrets. Um, but I think one of the consequences of that is I think like some of like the return from non-existence uh, stuff is more played for jokes and feels a little lighter than it should be. And this is something that could get corrected in future MCU movies. But if this is supposed to just be like, now we just accept that the world takes place, you know, it's five years later. Most people don't feel like they missed a day. At least half of the world doesn't feel like they missed a day. And we're not going to like get into any of like the interesting stuff that, you know, there's really fertile ground for storytelling there. I will be disappointed in in that. And on that level, uh, I'm very pleased with how Far From Home treats it for laughs, uh, much less so for for drama. I think for drama, it basically doesn't exist as unless you can think of some some ways in which it does that I'm not. No, seeing. you're not wrong. And I think, you know, that's why this movie, I don't think is, is, you know, spoiler going to get like the perfect score for me, like how, um, um, uh, homecoming did. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things, but I do love it. And I, I think you're right. They don't, they don't explore that aspect of it. And it's, it's weird that they don't, but at the same time, it's like, it, it, it's, this is sort of like a, everyone movie. Is it a bit heavy for, for, for essentially for a movie with teens, but at the same time, like, did they already do this story with um, Tony Stark experiencing PS- P- PTSD in, in Iron Man 3? I mean, you can still do this on a bigger scale with, with teenagers and how that affects them. Um, that's a really good call out and a really good point I hadn't, I hadn't thought about. I will say, like, you know, um, a shout out to, we're talking about how the, the animated series has, has influenced um, influenced us and stuff like that. Um, a shout out to a modern animated series in the comic book world. Uh, Young Justice is one of my favorites. It's it's incredible. Um, it's going on to like season season four is going to be coming out soon ish. I guess um, they announced it. I actually think it's going to take a while to animate it all. Uh, season three just ended. But um, I call this out because they did something really great. You know, um, sometimes cartoons can do a good job of addressing adult issues. And in an episode of that, like there was a training simulation that was all mental, but in it, all the kids died. And they thought they, they didn't know they were in a mental training situation. So they thought they all died. And then they woke up and they weren't dead. And the entire next episode was literally the episode is that they're all in therapy. They're all going through therapy <laughs> because they have PTSD from literally thinking they died. Um, and I thought it was amazing that they did that. I think it was great that they that they did a, an episode like that. And you saw repercussions um, run throughout the series from that. The Young Justice is, a good, is an amazing show for storytelling in terms of like how threads play out over long periods of time. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it's weird, right? Like, yeah, cause when you think about it from that level, Kevin, like 
how a how did they organize the summer trip <laughs> you know like didn't they have other priorities to think about like in like the return from like just like settling things back into normal you know there are whales in the hudson right outside new york city like they probably had a lot of shit to deal with and you can't just say well oh well the avengers took care of it no one of the plot points of this movie is like nobody knows what's going to happen now that captain america is gone and iron man's dead you know like we're left with like a power vacuum that's a that's a part of the the film that is like a a very critical part of the film um and then like how many of these parents are going to actually sign off on letting their kids go on this trip after they've been dead for five years whether or not it's like the parents themselves were also gone don't they think like well we all really want to like get past this trauma together this is a tough time we want to heal together uh or like they were there and their kids were gone they're not letting their kids go Ever again. Well, uh, so there's like a lot of like therapy that probably needed to go down. And like even just like the existence of a summer vacation after this feels uh, a little head scratchy. I think the, the 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 narrative logistics of the blip, like when you when you really like start to like get in the weeds on that or the webs on that, like I think that that can break the movie down a little bit. Uh, and so like I, I choose not to dwell on it too much, but I dwell on it to like. At least, like, you know, maybe not like as angry, certainly not as angrily as I do, like Harvey Dent shooting the driver in the car, but not Eric Roberts. And Harvey Dent is able to, like, walk away totally unscathed, which I think is so stupid. There's so many, like, dark nightisms like that that I think are so dumb. What are you talking about? You had a seatbelt on. How dare you? (laughs) That's enough. That's enough. I mean, oh, God, Kevin, let's not get into that. We'll save that for everything's bad. Mm. We'll say we'll save that for later. But I, I think that like the the more that like you get into like blip logistics, I think it's it's easy to get like, you know, a little like fogged out the way that Mysterio fogs. Yeah, Spider-Man I mean, out. you're not wrong. But um, the only thing I'll, the last thing I'll say about that, um, because I think you are right at the same point is um, if one thing has been proven, it is that despite situations around us people will be in a unhealthy and probably illogical rush to just return to normal no matter how awful or dangerous that rush would be so this is a compelling point it's a it's a a compelling point i think you and i are in agreement about maybe we should take some time and do the right steps and figure stuff out but um yeah, like everybody just like organized, like a lot just happened. Yeah. You guys are all back all of a sudden. You have to probably figure out your housing situations. Where did you show back up? Were you like in <laughs> well, the middle of like a farm? That's awesome you know? though, because they did that in the morning and that <laughs> you see all the stuff in the middle of <laughs> See, and then we laugh you about know, moments it, like that, which I think is what this this movie does well, as you pointed out. Like they did a good job getting the humor of the returning of the blip, uh <laughs> I think I think like it's it's asking you to just like kind of like laugh at like sort of the absurdism that's involved in like what the modern MCU looks like at this point. And like I think it's also reinforced by lines like where Peter is saying like uh, Thor was like a, a mythological god and now I study him in biology, right, or physics or whatever. Uh, and so like, you know, this is this is now officially a world that knows that. Aliens are definitively, decisively real. Uh, there are cosmic superpowers out there that can blink us out of existence. Like the deeper we go into the MCU, the more difficult it will be to have like regular every person stories. You know, like that's just like their their every person stories are going to be really difficult to like 
except unless it's in like flat, like you know some sort of like Captain Marvel style '90s throwback. Because like everyone's got to know now with with zero room for doubt that there is crazy shit out there that's causing, you know, worldwide galactic phenomena. Uh, So, uh, you know, they play it for laughs really excellently. But like when you really try to like and I think it's not unfair to like ask your from your Marvel Cinematic Universe movies because they are so good. So like, can't you? Can't you do both? Can't you make it funny? And can't you like examine sort of the psychology of it? And I just don't think they do that second thing. And what I would mostly blame that on is probably wanting to keep like a decently tight lid on how Endgame plays out. And so it's probably like screenwriters who know John Watts, the director knows. And then the people who are like directly related to the scenes uh, involving the blip stuff that know. And like it's a pretty small circle that they're trying to keep there. And I get that it, perver- it preserved the end game surprise. They play it really well for laughs. It's just if they never really explore this in any kind of like deep psychological way moving forward, I think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, your your note though about like how the world has changed and you have to like accepting the absurdity and like how you've studied Thor in school does remind me of my one of my favorite lines from this movie, which is from uh, Nick Fury, where Spider Man is just like, "I just want to be a, a, like a friendly neighborhood guy." This is just like, "Bitch, please, you've been to space." <laughs> you've been to space. It is so accurate. That's exactly what you're saying, right? Like, how do you go back to just being normal and small scale? when you've been through something like that um yeah yeah. but they do a good job of doing it though right like this is sort of going back to what spider-man is and how they handle it i mean despite the 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 massive scale of the of the thing he's facing the idea that maybe it is multiversal um there's a lot of personal story for him now it's not the type of trauma personal story that 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 we're talking about here but they do have a great high school story about a summer vacation crush about summer love you know having a blast like this is sort of what this is and we get that we get to see that um echoed not just through uh peter and mj but of course also in uh betty and ned and uh in (laughs) and happy and aunt may the babe the babing my god i just keep thinking believe me i know uh, i just keep thinking of the office that episode uh dinner party which is like one of the most famous ones where michael and jan keep calling each other babe and it's just this like kind of grating thing and like just kind of obnoxious phrase around these parts yeah No, it's it, it's all and, and like the comedy stuff uh, definitely works. And, and where the drama really works is they're not leaning into the blip for drama. They're, they're leaning into like the bigger emotional deal imminently is to deal with the fact that somebody who was very important to the MCU Spider-Man story up to this point is now dead and is dead from the events of a different movie. And not just from a different movie, but from the movie that immediately came before this one. Um, so they got to deal with Tony Stark. They have to play with Tony Stark's legacy because that is a huge piece of what happened to Spider-Man. And I think if they didn't go hard on that in this film, um, that would be much more noticeable than the fact that they don't go hard on like blip aftermath. Um, so if you have to make a trade um, worthy trade to like really deal with the fact that like Spidey is dealing with the ramifications of Tony not being here anymore. And that was a father figure to him. That was his mentor. That's his Uncle Ben, as far as the MCU is concerned. Like, we know that he had an Uncle Ben. We don't know the details of what happened to Uncle Ben. We're going to find out about what happened to Uncle Ben, like, at least two or three more times in the next few weeks. Uh, so we'll be able to deal with all of that. Uh, but as it pertains to the MCU, that's it's Tony's role. And I think on that level, 
uh, they do a really great job of of like talking about um, about about how to like how to move on from loss and how to like try and survive like day to day moments and like how how you do that when everything you see reminds you of the person that is no longer in your life for whatever reason that literally Iron Man's visage is spray painted into buildings that everybody's talking about him um, that Peter is like the heir apparent to Tony Stark's empire because he's got Edith even dead I'm the hero so great, so great. <laughs> uh, and so like there's just a, a, a lot that's going on in in that realm um, that I that I think that the movie does really well and and psychologically is very interesting for a guy like Peter who really does just want to be normal knows that he is in this important position because of his great power and great responsibility that he should be uh, doing much more like he can't have the normal life that he wants and he's he's certainly not going to be able to have that now that he's doxxed by the Daily Bugle at the end of the movie um, so I, I think that all of that stuff is is dramatically compelling in addition to all the ways in which this movie is just like a, a laugh a minute yeah and that stuff is really powerful and i think really well done um you know you have we we talk about the the the, the trauma right we do get trauma from peter because he has anxiety attacks he has a lot of um feelings of pressure which as a teenager you have you have these feelings of pressure about what are you going to do with your life what comes next how big are you going to be um how are you going to live up to certain things your parents you know is, is a big thing like how do you live up to um the, the shadow some parents cast um and that that's a huge thing in this movie and i think it works to, to great effect it is that personal story more than the the bigger context of the blip and how it affects people and i think it succeeds in that level um it's it's tone like this movie it, it is i can get People arguing about like, oh, why is it Tony Stark? And I'm sure there's like rights reasons, like, you know, thinking deeply about it if we want to. Like they for all we know, Marvel couldn't use Uncle Ben without paying extra royalties. They couldn't use the the character Ned is very clearly based on uh, because of extra royalties. Like they couldn't call him that because then they have to pay Sony more money. Like I'm sure there's behind the scenes reasons. Um, But this movie is that this movie is like, what is the wake um, left behind by Tony Stark, not just through Spidey, because we see this echoed in the villain as well, right? Like this, the villain is a direct uh, response to to what Tony did and, and and his past, and also kind of coming to terms with like sometimes the people you look up to being perfect aren't perfect, and they have a lot of issues. You know, um, Spider Man idolized Tony Stark, and it's kind of also realizing that Tony wasn't perfect. You know, um, Happy has a great speech about Tony. Um, at the end at the end of the movie which props to john favreau in that speech by the way i thought he did an incredible job um, when he's talking to peter on the plane um so yeah there's a there's a lot in here that i think does have the drama as well as the humor um which is what makes this movie so cool and again i think it's weird to to kind of come back to it but i think that's part of what makes spidey so popular as a character um for so long for so many people because he was that perfect balance between human and superhero um, and I think, um, uh, what makes this, yeah, it, it makes this movie work and, it, and it's something that makes the best of the MCU work. You know, um, uh, Claremont's X-Men were all about the drama as much as they were about the mutants. And I think, um, this is like classic Marvel comics right here in a way, uh, to the point that they even make fun of, uh, the possibility of Hydro Man at one point, which I thought was freaking hilarious. Um, uh, yeah, which was great. Could have been yeah. good. <laughs> um, Talk me through Mysterio. Let's talk bad guy. We're coming off of from homecoming uh, vulture 
who we both have as a perfect six. Um, I don't have Mysterio that high in this, even though I think he's great. I think he's excellent. But the thing that, and I have to, I have to imagine this applies to you as well, but I know that this is subjective. And so the re- the response to this is going to vary from person to person is that like, you know, the movie plays it as a surprise that Mysterio is actually a bad guy, right? Like it's the halfway through the movie reveal that this guy doesn't come from another, uh, another dimension that he's actually just like a con artist, basically that he's a, you know, a, uh, a, a jilted uh, former Stark industries, uh, you know, employee, who had technology that he was about to debut. He got fired for being a loony uh, and now he's out for revenge and he's just like the next sort of like Justin Hammer, but like in an awesome suit and much better than Justin Hammer by a lot. Uh, and so like I, I love all of that, but th- there's never a moment of surprise for me in, in this movie, which is like the exact opposite of like the vulture reveal that happens in Homecoming, which is such a powerful moment of ah. It's the dad. It's the vulture. There's there's I can't weigh in on what that was like for people who don't know Spider-Man lore or comic book lore, um, because for for those people who walked into Far From Home, maybe they were genuinely sideswiped by like friendly faced, typical good guy. Jake Gyllenhaal is actually the bad guy in the movie. But with that being said, like the like being in on the joke and all of that, like being like super, super fun. It's enjoyable to watch. Like, it's really enjoyable to watch. And like his banter with Peter and everything like helps like uh, like, you know, push things further and like be, caref- be careful who you trust. And, and you know, driving driving that mess like you like part of the great power and great responsibilities. Like you got to be much more discerning about who you're letting into your life. Peter Parker, uh, like that's a very adult lesson that you have to learn. Of, like, who can you trust? Um, so all of that's really good. It's just the surprise element is completely non-existent for me. So a solid 50% of this movie you're in on the twist. You know what I mean? To an extent. Um, yes. Um, I think I'm with you in that. I, I, I just, I I assumed there was going to be the twist and he was going to be the bad guy, but I will say like, you know, I, I can't speak to myself. Um, but I can speak to, um, uh, to, to, to my fiance who, who knew the comic Mysterio is a bad guy. Um, but obviously I think for her, when she went in, we talked about this. She, she, uh, it's like the MCU has done a good job of like continuous twisting and turning. So like, even when you expect a twist to be coming, sometimes they won't do a twist just to be the twist, you know? So there, there's an extent where you don't necessarily know if you're not deep committed that they weren't going to just mess around with, with lore here. Right. They, Cause they've done it before they've messed around with like characters and stuff. And even this Mysterio that we're seeing right. isn't exactly the Mysterio from the comics. Um, uh, you know, um, there's a lot there, but it's not, it, it's not him. Um, but that said, I think, you know, for her, it got to the point where I think they did it at the right time because it was when they were in the bar and they were having their conversation. She said, like, she had a moment in her head where it was just like, well, maybe they're not going to do this. Maybe they're not going to do the flip. And then the flip happens immediately. So I think the timing may have been, like, exactly right, uh, which was really interesting. I think also they really sold it in a really interesting way because you have there's no point where you're not like, Oh God, Jeff Bridges is a goddamn bad guy. So freaking obviously like they, they're so obvious in previous incarnations. And I'm not saying that Jeff Bridges isn't charming. He just very obviously played someone who was just like, okay, well you're the villain. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, like you said, notoriously good guy. 
um, and also was so charming throughout this. He was very, you know, fun. He has a certain level of charm to him that swayed Peter really well. I'll give you a 50-50 shot. You're pretty awkward. There's a really yeah. funny line when he's telling like, there's, <laughs> there's so much good stuff there for him to, like, kind of play off this idea of being, like, a really charming person and not really push this, like, he's a bad guy part of it. Like, they really played it straight for a long time, and Jake Gyllenhaal's charm as an actor and as a as, as a person, I think, really worked there. Um, you also uh, um, uh, have it where, um, oh man, I'm losing my train of thought on that. But uh, Nick Fury and Maria Hill are believing this guy now. I never bought, like, I didn't fully buy that, like, but Robin, I will say, never bought it. She, like, the entire movie, she was just like, something's, like, why would they be so gullible? And so when the reveal happens at the very end, Robin was like, okay, this is so much better. Because, like, Nick Fury and Maria Hill should not be that gullible, Nick Fury especially. Um, but I think, I think it works. And, and one last note on it, I think behind the scenes, when you, I don't normally look at interviews and stuff, but I know this was a big part of the marketing tactic that, that I was paying attention to because that's also part of my job, is that the interviews, everything they did with Jake Gyllenhaal and, 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 and Tom Holland, they played that same level of charm and friendship in their interviews. They kept that all the way through. They never questioned the possibility of the villain. They really pushed this idea of... The, this Mysterio is not the one that you that you know that you think of. Um, so I, I think all of that coupled together, yes, it wasn't a surprise to like you or me, and maybe it didn't fully pay off as a surprise. But as a story point and as a cool moment in the actual events, it worked really, really well. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. the difference there, that right? The, internally, it's great. Like internally, it's great, and like for the for the ideas of the movie. And again, like. Um, you know, I think like, especially now that we know that like Stephen Strange is going to be in Spider-Man three, um, in a supposed mentor role for Peter Parker, uh, these Spider-Man movies, if it's a trilogy here in the MCU are marked by Spider-Man learning at the knee of white dudes with beards. Uh, and, and, and the message he learns from white dude with beard number two here, Mysterio is like, don't trust white dudes with beards all the time. (laughs) That should be, be that should be everyone's lesson, guys. That should be everyone's lesson. Um, but like, I, I think that the, you know, that is very thematically in it is like this idea of like, um, you don't have to be the next Iron Man, but you are Spider-Man. You're Spider-Man and you can't not be. You don't get to just like walk away from that. You've got, you've been bestowed this great power. You must wield it responsibly. And it does mean that like, you can't just take the glasses off and hand it to the dude you just met. You know, like you can't do that. You have to be more discerning. You can't be that gullible. Um, it's a shame that you are having to like learn these lessons so young in your life, but you have to learn them because th- you're in this seat. Um, and so I, I think that that story works really well within like the twist of the movie. And it's, it's really like a, a very, that's why I say it's like, it's very, it's a very subjective thing um, that I feel like, and especially as somebody who, who does those types of interviews, uh, who's on like the, the, the other side of like receiving those answers from talent. Like there's like just no world where I would have ever bought that. Like, you know, like, but that's like very specifically my, you know, my work and my brain. Um, all of it anyway is completely offset by like once you're in on the Mysterio gag and that first Mysterio scene of Spider-Man versus Mysterio is uh, and I think that this is probably something that we will want to be doing is like tracking 
I don't, I don't know how, how, I don't know what the best way to do it is like maybe ranking like the villains by their best action scene and stacking those up against the other villains, best action scenes as we're going forward in Spider-Man, because this is definitely the best Mysterio scene of the movie is the one where it, you know, it builds to, you know, Iron Man out of the grave and all the Spider-Men beating up Spider-Man. Like the whole of it is just, it's, it's visually stunning and gorgeous and just an incredible use of point of view and perspective. Um, it's it's masterful. So the way that they play Mysterio's power set, such as it is, which is you know from the comics, he's the special effects guy, yeah. right? Like Quentin Beck is a special effects uh, artist who gets you know shafted and is just he's like I'm mad, yeah. and so then he uses special effects. And so he to like uses villain. special effects to like create illusions and stuff, and so to like pivot that into science, which is you know great for for the Spider-Man character and especially this version of the Spider-Man character, um, and to to uh, map that on to you know the the technological things that Spider-Man himself is wrestling with at this point in time is just a very smart pivot and they are able to use all of that to create that like um brain scrambling sensation of especially that first um Mysterio sequence which is I mean I don't think that there is a Spider-Man bad guy that has been put to live action at least that has a better moment like that uh, than that yeah. one. Nothing comes to mind. There, there's a rival in Spider Verse, but uh, none of the live action stuff comes to mind. Yeah, no, it, it's so really, 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 really well done, and it's 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 especially I think an accomplishment for a villain like Mysterio, who a lot of people, um, even myself, is just kind of like Mysterio, like in a villain that doesn't a villain that doesn't seem threatening. Um, uh, shout out to one of my good friends, Sheldon Price. Mysterio is like his favorite Spider-Man villain. It's one of his favorites, uh, MC, you know, in, in Marvel. And, uh, he was thrilled to see Mysterio in a movie and see Mysterio done so effectively because this is the moment, that fight is the moment where you get like, oh, this is why Mysterio can be very dangerous and scary where you don't know what's real or what's not anymore. There's a very, there's a very like, it, it reminded me of the Arkham Asylum video game where you're playing as Batman. He gets doused with fear toxin. He has this weird fear toxin dream sequence that never was also translated into live action at all. Um, it was it was like a video game brought to life, but done in a really, really powerful way. Um, and it has that element, that element of dreams and fear. There's like a Freddy Krueger aspect to it all um, that is so very effective and kind of chilling. And I think it, it worked so well because of that, because it was something that had this almost like unreal dreamlike quality brought into a real world where it's dangerous for Spider-Man and he gets hit by a train at the end of it. Um, there's a lot there that I think works and makes Mysterio like an effective In villain. fairness, I believe it's uh, Night Monkey who gets Sorry, you're right. Night Monkey. There's no Spider-Man. Night Monkey is the hero uh, of, of Europe and France at this point. <laughs> what a great... Oh my god. We didn't talk about Night Monkey, but I love that bit. Uh, Night Monkey is also one of the unlockable costumes in the Spider-Man video game. It's great. It's absolutely That's perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just, I love, I love what they do with Mysterio visually. Uh, and I, it just, it like, it totally dazzled me watching it the first time. And then like the way that like once Peter just like knows what it is he's looking at, the way he's able to circumnavigate it and engage with it, um, from like flying into the storm of drones to him in, you know, the, the, the walkway and just like Peter tingling his way through the whole thing. A, whole, um, a hallway that, fight, which is quintessential for the, you know, uh, 
<laughs> Netflix for yeah. the MCU. But, but that, but that especially too, that idea of like uh, that he he like it's this moment of intensity, and he's there, and Mysterio is like doing his Mysterio thing again, and Peter in his moment of like self actualization and confidence goes. Come on, Peter Tingle. And so like it is that it is that marriage of like the the supreme humor of of these movies with like the intensity of the moment uh, that I that I think is like this is this is a scene like that for me is the reason why I love and respect these movies as much. Yeah. And like, you know, that I think is the best Mysterio scene of seeing like his 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 skill set and powers at work and the threat of it directly applied to the hero right um but the action sequences overall were really great that first one where he's fighting not hydro man is really really visually stunning and i think really well done like seeing him get knocked around um venice at the time and like uh you know flying into the walls you know soaking wet you know afterwards um having to hold up the tower with his webs i think all of that was just so really well done the action in this movie i think is is really spectacular um to 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 use the word yeah we know what yeah. you just did um, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. like yeah there's there's just they did a really good job with this and you know despite the fact that this is sort of like we're at the end of the the line in the mcu right now i think what a way to like kind of do that denouement demo demo whatever the hell it's called denouement, denouement. um denouement. since we are partially in europe and in france in this movie um and uh and a bridge right into into like what's possibly coming next if we ever get to whatever's coming next um i I think i think it's very effective and and awesome actions and like kind of uh, a near height of what the mcu could be in in terms of individual movies yeah um yeah the action is is really really wonderful in this um i feel like there's just lots of great little character work throughout it as well i think these movies have built a great cast uh, whether it's the Ned and Betty stuff or like this is the movie where they finally get like MJ to be MJ, right? Like, you know, like she gets to have a much more active role in the movie and Zendaya is just I'm amazing. I'm so happy that she figured uh, it out. Like, I love that. I love that, that they've started to do that. I mean, I think I... You're Spider-Man. Yeah, that, that, that like she's just like, you're Spider-Man. And I, I love that she, she put yeah. it together. You know, I, I kind of called it out. One of my favorite things about Man of Steel was the fact that Lois Lane deduced very quickly that that Clark Kent and is Superman without even knowing Clark Kent. She just literally did the research and was just like, okay, so Clark Kent is Superman. Got it. Figured it out. Um, I think it's just powerful moments for these characters who sometimes get regulated uh, to just be like, well, they're the, the, they're Spider-Man's girlfriend, you know, or Superman's girlfriend. I think it's, it's really cool that they did that. And Zendaya is just phenomenal uh throughout sorry i interrupted you on that one but yes i just had to no not at all uh like that that stuff is is incredible like flash is crazy <laughs> this thing. So like, even add some humanity to flash Mother and father. Like, with lo- <laughs> yeah and like where are my parents and they don't show up for flash uh but even when he's like i love spider-man he makes me feel like a better person so it's so good it's so good it's really really funny uh and then uh you know the the interplay between uh martin star and jb smooth is the chaperones is the teachers Smoove in this uh, movie just bringing it like any anything that has jb smooth obviously i love him from curb as leon so like seeing him here well it's wild to me that like i think martin star is the is the star of those two because of like how he's so clearly just trying to hold his shit together <laughs> yeah. and jb smooth is just like so clearly like not wanting to really be a part of any Witchcraft. of this um 
yeah, like he doesn't like any of this shit. And Martin Starr, like who, uh, you know, has like he's trying to hold his whole life yeah. together. It seems like <laughs> so literally, I'm doing my best here. Julius is such a good moment. Uh, so like the the cast here, and then the happy and May stuff. I think that's really really fun. Uh, and I I certainly hope we get more of that. I hope that those days aren't done. I think that they're a great pair, Favreau and Tomei together. And I think like in the context of the Spider-Man character that they've built out here uh, in the in the MCU, I think really, really important to have. And then, of course, like the other really big characters to talk about uh, being Nick Fury and Maria Hill. Kind, kind of, of. Right. Kind of. Um, so the the big reveal at the end is that they are scrolls and they're the scrolls that we saw in Captain Marvel. And it's 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 it was a very surprising moment for me the first time watching it through. How has it, how has that twist played for you on rewatches of, of Far From Home? Does it hold up? Does it hold up to you or does it feel at all like um, something that they were going to like kind of just like put on there at the at the very no, end? I think it does hold up because I think it, like I like I mentioned, it's it sort of it wasn't as like noticeable the first time to me. But like Robin caught it immediately that like, how how is Nick Fury falling for this stuff? Like he seemed too easily just like accepting where Nick Fury that the Nick Fury that we know would have never um, kind of just been like, Oh yeah, totally multiverse. This guy will just buy into everything. Basically it feels like, and not have contingencies in place. Um, so that reveal was great. And they kind of capitalized on that fact and kind of, you know, explained this to the audience that like, Oh God, we can't tell him that we, that we did this. Like he, you know, um, you essentially broke character. So I do think it works. I think it's there. I think it's very much there that like, this is not, really the the Nick Fury and Maria Hill that we know because they are a little too gullible. Um, I kept, uh, I, I had a moment because I couldn't remember where I'm just like, hey, is the eye patch on the other side? Because that was like a gag from the Spider-Man cartoon with Chameleon is how they figured out it was the other Nick Fury is because it was a photocopy of the driver's license. Um, so, but no, it's it's the correct side. So it didn't go into that much detail because maybe that would have been too obvious, right? So I think they played it right. I think they did it the right amount of when the reveal happens, it makes sense. And in the rewatch, you're like, oh, yeah, totally. OK. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, anything else from the movie proper before we start getting into rankings and um, stuff? I think the only other things I want to point out, I, I called it out earlier, but I do love that that sequence um, after Peter screws up and he calls Happy and Happy picks him up on the plane. I love their conversation on there. Um, you know, uh, um John Favreau is a phenomenal director. We're going to be talking about him a lot during the Mandalorian podcast. Um, but like, I love that sequence. It, it really was emotional. I, I think really well done to have him talk about Tony and like the look he gives when Peter's back there making a suit. That is very much. He, he is like Tony Stark. He's a different Tony Stark. I, I thought was yeah. really well done and really powerful and, and really incredible. And the only other thing I wanted to mention is speaking of Tony Stark, I love Tony's commitment to aviators. I just, I love that mm-hmm. also awesome. Edith is an aviator and I was like, I love this commitment you have here that just only aviators, please. <laughs> he loves them. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about, uh, let's rank the movie, Kevin. Uh, this is the final MCU movie to rank for now. Um, I, I will go, I'll go first. So I, I put, I turned, uh, I turned, I turned homecoming from a from a five point uh, from a six point to a five point nine. I'm going to hold that because I still haven't revisited it yet. Um, 
And I, I just need to reserve some judgment. So far from home has to be lower than that for me. I think that like, for me, this is, this is where like, uh, like prime earthbound MCU stuff is my jam sort of, uh, sentiment comes into play that I'm, I'll put it right at guardians of the galaxy level. Uh, I'm going to give this a 5.5, which is, which is what I gave to the OG GOTG. Um, so I'll give this a 5.5, uh, I, th- I think it's, it's a really fun movie. I think that there, there are some, there are some things that I, that I don't love about it and some threads to pull on that I understand why they exist. I understand why they are there. I just think if we could live in another universe, uh, where those things could have been tightened up, I think it's a stronger movie by a lot. Um, but it's, it's not the end of the world stuff. It's just, you know, docking it from a perfect score by a half point, right? You know, so still obviously lots of, strong, positive, warm, fuzzy feelings. Towards yeah, um, I actually also forgot that because when we did Endgame, I was like, oh, right. I forgot that we have a database that we put our scores in, so I didn't do that for you, so I apologize. But we're going to hear them here. It's not too late. It's <laughs> yeah, not too late. We're going to add them in. Um, so what do you think? What so do you got? For me, uh, I didn't go as high. I think there are like bits and pieces, but it's so weird because the movie, um, I think it, it succeeds so well on so many levels, but doesn't quite hit the heights of other stuff that I think were beyond, you know, I think there's stuff that you called out. I think it's a very fun movie. Um, but there are little bits and pieces that I'm like, well, you know, that it, it doesn't quite hit homecoming for me. And so I'm giving it a five instead of a 5.5. So I'm going five on this one. Um, I think it's still really an incredible film. It's super fun. I loved it as a Spider-Man movie. Um, I loved it as, as a Demuna, de, de, whatever, the, to, to the, uh, uh, to, I'm a writer. <laughs> I, yeah. Damn it. And I, uh, and I loved it for that. So I, 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 but I think five is where I have to land on this one. Yeah. Uh, so that means that our top 10 from last week is intact. Uh, it is, it is just a, a little bit shy of guardians volume two with my 5.5, your five, it's a it's a four point nine nine uh, from the sorry, it's a four point seven six from the community uh, and a five point oh eight uh, for far from a home, which is just a little bit shy of Guardians of the Galaxy volume two. So far from home swinging in as the 11th best Spidey movie on the board or the oh, sorry, the 11th best uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. I expect Kevin, uh, that'll be probably pretty high up as far as the actual Spider-Man goes. Um, yes. <laughs> Twould be my guess. This, this is going to be, be this is gonna be interesting when we delve into the other Spider-Mans. Um, I think there's only one movie that beats it, but uh, it's going to be... Yeah. I mean... Mm. How about um? How about Mysterio for you as a as a bad guy? We gotta do some some villain rankings yeah. here. I, I I would love to know where you where you put so Mysterio. It's so weird because like Mysterio, like I mentioned, isn't like a a, bi- a big villain to me, right? Like he, I was one of the people where I'm like Mysterio uh, as a villain. But after what they did with the Vulture, I gave them the benefit of the doubt because to me, Vulture is one of the best villains in the MCU. I gave Vulture a six, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I don't think Mysterio, quote unquote, soars as high. Um, I think he's he's a great villain. I think they did really cool, unique stuff with him. Um, I loved his interplay with Peter. I think that, you know, you lose him as a villain because he dies, but you can have the idea of Mysterio carries on. I think there's a lot of powerful stuff there, but I just, there's never a point where he seems, except for that one sequence, where he seems villainous, where he seems as threatening and as 
dangerous as like the vulture in like that car scene, for example. They never quite hits that for me. So I, I gave him a five as well um, for the villain rankings because he just when it when it, when we look at the others, right? When you look at your your Hellas, when you look at your Killmongers, when you look at your Thanos and your and your uh, vultures, um, he's not quite there. He's very high up. He's the best version of the of the of the bad guy of the good guy, quote unquote, turn bad guy twist. I think he's the best example of that. Um, but he's not quite as high as the other, I think, powerful villains of the MCU. Yeah, I gave him a five point five, um, which maybe feels a little high, but I think it's it's inflated by that that uh, action scene, uh, the first Mysterio scene specifically, um, but also because like. Man, Mysterio, what a jerk. You lost. You died. You didn't seem to have such a problem with Spider-Man anyway. Why did you have to dox him at the end? What was the point, Love man? Uh, re- regardless of the point, uh, Mysterio, uh, short of Thanos, who has had a bigger victory over Peter Parker at sure. this point? <laughs> you know, he just outed him to the world. So points for effectiveness. Uh, so I'm giving him a 5.5. You're 5. That's uh, a 5.27 from the audience. 5.17 overall. Mysterio is lucky number 7 here uh, as far as the villain rankings are concerned. That feels um, fair. Post credits. Post credits. Another opportunity to talk about your what boy. Are, what are we Simmons doing is, here, Josh? Is, Why? Are, it's, a, it's a seven. It's a seven. It's very clearly a seven. It's, a, it's obviously a six, right? Like it's a very queer six. I, like honestly, uh, I, from, if I could, yes, I would have given it a seven, but it is a six. I I cannot even begin to describe as much as I loved loved the Nick Fury Avengers thing. Holy shit. The way I lost my yeah. mind in the theaters because it's it's one of those things like with the Stan Lee cameo with, where they made him a watcher. So long people were like if if J. Jonah Jameson is in a Spider-Man movie it just has to be J.K. Simmons. Like there's no one else who who should play that role anymore. And so when that happened and he showed up, the entire theater lost their goddamn minds over it. It was me especially. Like it's just such a great moment of one doing what the fans had asked for and just been like, guys, come on, you know, you have to. Um, and just to have him in this role and to update the role to have him out spider. There's just so much in there. That was so great. So yeah, it's a full six. If I could give it higher, I would, it might be my favorite post credit scene. You don't need to in the MCU. You don't need to, <laughs> uh, because, uh, with, with your six, with my six, it's a 5.85 from the audience. Ladies and germs, we have a new crowning <laughs> post-credit scene. J. Jonah Jameson being revealed here at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home is your new reigning champion with 5.95 over Nick Fury's reveal in uh, Iron Man uh, with a 5.91. Um, if anything was ever going to top Nick Fury, this makes sense to me because it's just it shows how much we love this actor's portrayal of this character. But of course it's not the only one. There's also the reveal of Nick Fury and Maria Hill as scrolls. And I think, uh, we, we should, we, we got to rank yep. it. So let's, let's step, let's definitely do that. Um, but we also should talk through the ramifications of it because it's not just about the scroll thing, sort of in the same way that Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man is revealing what we're getting into past Iron Man this isn't necessarily revealing what we're getting into past Iron Man, but it is showing that this gigantic universe is only growing. Uh, it's, you know, they're not slowing down. I give it a six. I, I give this post credit scene a six. It's a, it's a great surprise to have the scrolls there. But beyond that, I think like 
the way where it's left us for this last like you know almost two years you know year and a half ish uh since we've been out from this film uh and like this being like the last like really big clue of where are we going on a broader scale it just leaves us with like the ability to start like thinking about that and theorizing about that so i think that it's active in that way uh i think it it hits all the notes it's funny but it's also provocative and i think it just opens up a lot of different questions about where we're going in the in the movies moving forward um yeah, I, it doesn't it doesn't hit that high for me because like I think they reveal that they were scrolls is great, but you know my feelings as we talked about on the Captain Marvel podcast about the scrolls. I do think this is the moment that helps alleviate that because it's it, it positions the idea that what I think is great for the scrolls is the oh man, you know the people that you thought were scrolls the whole time is is kind of shown here, right? They did it. They did it to the audience with like Maria Hill and Nick Fury. You thought that was them, but it's not. It's it's here. And they kind of set up the idea that Nick is building something. I think for comic book fans like the rest of us, we're like, oh, he's building Sword. But Sword is sort of nebulous in the sense it's like, well, it's built to protect from intergalactic threats. But we know we know intergalactic threats exist. So like it didn't do anything like big and new for me in terms of like huge setup. Like honestly, I thought it's a combo. I think the idea of like who is scroll, who is not gets gets introduce and that's really great but i thought the J. Jonah jameson thing actually has a little more ramifications for me like obviously it docks to spider-man and has changing effects for spider-man but there's that that knowing now like even then i was like is this a multiverse thing is it a multiverse scroll thing is that a scroll from a different universe pretending to be the J. Jonah jameson of this world because there wasn't one like there's a lot there that that i went into very crazily in like tinfoil hat theory when we first watched this movie but now that we're introducing kang to conquer now that we're introducing electro now that we're introducing all this other stuff maybe my tinfoil hat theory is not that crazy to begin with so i think there's a lot there for me in terms of like spiraling about where it could go and what it could mean that is actually more in the J. Jonah Jameson reveal. Um, but I do think it is enhanced by the scroll reveal. That all said, for me, the scroll reveal is going to get a five. Um, I think Sword is cool. I think there's a lot of potential setup, but it doesn't have the impact to me of like, oh man, like the Avengers are coming or even like Thanos is coming as a, we have a thing for if something else comes. It's like, okay, you, you you are prepared, I guess, is, is where we are. But prepared for what is the big question? And we don't have a little bit of a tease for that yet. Sure. Uh, that's totally fair. Uh, and that is going to make... Uh, let's do quick quick maths. Quick maths. Uh, a 5.35. Uh, it's right underneath the hammer clank of Avengers Endgame. Wow. Uh, so it's uh, number number eight. Uh, in the post credits rankings is the far from home scroll reveal. I think it should be above the hammer clank personally, but yeah, you know what? what you are put you Iron do? Man, you put um, Iron Man high on the official rankings. A hammer clank gets just as. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess. Um, let's 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 talk a little bit about the future uh, of both you know the podcast and Spider Man. So we've we've said this now uh, two podcasts in a row that the next move is we're we're swinging away from the MCU. And going back to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies for the next couple of weeks, <laughs> I guess next three, three what weeks a or change. so. Uh, and, and then we'll figure out, do we want to put ourselves through both Garfields over two podcasts to just do it in one? Like, we'll we'll figure it out. Um, we're open to feedback. We're, we're open to suggestions on, on how you think we should do it. We'll definitely do Raimi's one through three as three separate podcasts for sure. I will sure. say if people I think the like my ranting, they'll want... 
uh, <laughs> the one amazing Spider-Man to two podcasts. I, I don't know. We'll see. We can we can make we can make a judgment call on it. But but I think it's interesting because like Spider-Man. So they're they're starting. I believe that they're starting production on Spider-Man three right now. I believe that it's currently being made. Um, there's a lot of news out there about it. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange is going to be a part of it. It's been said that he is in a mentor role. What does that mean? Is that, you know, uh, uh, is that accurate? Is it a miscommunication as happens often from like casting agents to trades or whatever? Um, Jamie Foxx is back as Electro, even though he was Electro in what will definitely be of the live action Spider-Man movies. If not the very bottom, then the second to bottom, I would say. Uh, so why are they doing that? Is it just like we're going to just redo it because that was like a missed opportunity with casting and we did it poorly and we can do it better now? Or with the introduce, introduction of Doctor Strange to a Spider-Man movie... Uh, either right before or right after off the top of my head. I don't know which movie's coming first, Multiverse of Madness or Spider-Man 3. You got to imagine, even like the, the concepts of multiverses were introduced in this movie, even if it was hooey, you know? So like, is that where we're going? And if that's where we're going, then Kevin, are we in a way by going into these next Spider-Man movies, are we actually staying in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to some degree. And that is like something that I wouldn't, it was not part of the conversation when you and I were talking about moving into Spider-Man next, but I think we have to consider it now that much like into the Spider-Verse introduced the fact that there's like, you know, a million different Spider-Men and a million different universes. Is that what's about to happen in live action? I mean, I'm not going to be against it, right? Instead of Spider-Verse was extremely successful. I mean, it's a phenomenal movie and it has multiple Spider-Mans. Um, and I love that. Um, I think Spider-Verse has a bigger variety of interest to the Sp- of Spider-Man. Like there's nothing that compares to the idea of like this the Spider-Man noir as well as, you know, the um, Spider-Gwen um, and, and the one that we know. And in my, like there's a lot in there, whereas we're going to get Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland, which is an interesting combo, but sort of like, yeah, you guys are the same Spider-Mans. Um, so I think that's cool. I think that's, that can be really fun. I think, is it a, like, if you had asked me a little while ago, is that a possibility? I'd have been like, I don't think so. I don't think they'd do anything that crazy. But we've seen success from like Crisis on Infinite Earths um, on, on TV, right? When DC did this, it had multiple versions of people's. Um, we saw Into the Spider-Verse do it. So, it is a possibility. It's a wild, crazy possibility. Are we going to see Tobey Maguire Spider-Man as essentially like the Kingdom Come Brandon Routh version of Spider-Man showing up in Christ? Like, is that what it's going to be? He's going to have the gray hair and like instead of a instead of a um, another white guy yeah, with a beard. He's going to have a beard and he's going to have like a, a black and red suit instead of the blue and red. Like, you know, where's where is this going to go? It's going to be really interesting and really uh really curious to see how it plays out if they if they go this route. Um, so yeah, we could be sticking in the MCU by going into these other Spider-Man movies, but boy, oh boy, is that going to be a wild web swing ride? We're going to be like MJ just screaming and deciding like, is this fun or do I want to keep my eyes closed (laughs) as it happens? I think that's, I think that's going to be really fun, uh, to, to like track some of that stuff of like, what do you want to keep? Like, I think should be fun. I think it'd be fun to like talk about like, what, what do you want to talk about here from, from, the Raimi era. What should they bring into the MCU if they're going to grab Ooh, any of this good stuff? Questions. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll do that as we go. We'll Topher do it Grace, as we go. We'll, we'll talk. 
we'll talk we'll talk it through <laughs> come on uh you know like well you know a lot of the bad guy casting though i actually would keep so you know like i'd keep will i'd keep willem dafoe as norman osborne i'd Finish keep alfred Molina as Doc Ock. i'd even give thomas hayden church another shot at sandman he's great I, uh, yeah well you my know? problem wasn't thomas hayden church with sandman it was what they just did with that character and everything else <laughs> thomas hayden church yeah, was fine yeah. he's a good actor <laughs> And they've got a new Venom, so we're not at risk of Topher Grace getting involved, except for, like, maybe as a cameo or, you know, some other, like, funny meta way of doing that. Uh, like, maybe he'll play Topher Grace. <laughs> In a very Deadpool-esque There's, like, Ryan a universe where, like, Spider-Man 3 was a movie and Topher Grace was Venom. He's like, this was bad. Uh, I should have been Spider-Man. Like, maybe that, they have him as I a mean, Spider-Man. I mean, yeah, that would be cool. Like, like if you introduce Topher Grace and he's Ben Riley, I think that's awesome because, like, that's better casting for that character instead of eddie brock like if he was ben riley that'd have been cool as shit but we can get into that those conversations when they come because there's a lot like just of the spider-man lore and mythos to delve into as we go here well i think that and and that's something that i think we really like in a in a big way need to do at the start of this next podcast uh is like really set down some spider thoughts talk through some things we want to spider rank uh, talk through other people's thoughts on Spider-Man. It's like to the point where I almost feel like we need to just like have like a Spider-Man starting line before we even talk about the Sam Raimi movie uh, as as its own podcast. Is that a crazy thought? Um, there's a there's just a lot that we need to like put out on the table. I there, feel there like. is a lot. Um, so I'm not super against it. Um, it might be a shorter podcast because I feel like uh, you know we can, we can get it might like, be a yeah. shorter podcast. That's th- I think that that's fine, or it could end up being a really long one. But but I I think that that's that's what we should do first. Is I think we should just like have like a full on Spider Man conversation, establish some comic book lore, establish some history, talk about Spider Man in various forms of media. You know, there's the video game that was really celebrated that just came out. We've talked about the animated show. Um, there was the old live action show. And of course, there's like the comics. And I, I think it would be really fun to sort of just like set the stage for all of the Spidey shenanigans that are about yeah, to You've convinced me. You've convinced me. Other- we need to do a, a Spider-Man there- set podcast. The Spider's Man. <laughs> so we need so we need to do some things. Uh, I think we, we need to rank some stuff, right? We're, we want to set up what we're going to be ranking moving forward. Kevin, I think we need to rank Spider-Man suits. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of them. And we don't have, we don't need to do that now, but let's do that next week with the ones that we've already seen in the MCU. Uh, we'll we'll rank them from, you know, the same score zero to six. Uh, the, the various Spidey senses zero to six Spidey senses is what we'll call it because he's got that Peter Tingle. That's the sixth sense. That Peter Tingle allows him to see ghosts, apparently, uh, from other universes. Um, So we'll do it from zero to six the same way we did Infinity Stone. So give us your rankings on the movies. Uh, We already have your scores locked in for the MCU ones, so we'll want them for the upcoming Spider-Man movies. Give us your rankings on the bad guys. We've got your rankings on Vulture and Mysterio. We want them for the future movies. Give us your rankings on the suits. And so here are the suits that I think are in play, Kevin. Um, there's his friendly neighborhood, you know, bootleg getup is number one. Dude, number one, like there full stop, is, though. It, it is the number one costume. <laughs> there's his, so there's, there's his bootleg getup. Um, his homecoming suit is his Civil War suit, right? Um, yes. Effectively. Yes. yes. 
So we'll we'll count that as one. Um, there's the iron spider suit. Mm-hmm. That there is um, the night monkey suit, <laughs> and there is uh, the suit he makes at the end, far from home. So those are those are five that you can rank. Send us your rankings from zero to six. Kevin and I will talk about that on the next podcast. Um, so we've got movie rankings, villain rankings, suit rankings. Is there anything else that you want to track moving forward? Um. Uh, no. I mean, like, there, it's a weird thing to be like. I mean, this I mean, I guess we kind of to an extent afterwards have to rank the Spiders man's. Like we we kind of have to rank them in terms of like who who's doing the best portrayal of the character because I do think there's levels there to it. Some of them have more humor than the others. Some of them are more dramatic than the others. Uh, you know, some of them play to the Spider Man versus like there's a there's a little bit there that is tough um, to kind of hit about like who's playing the better version of Peter Parker. But I think I don't know. I think that's a conversation maybe till t- till the very end. I would like to see that from where the audience feels like because I know a lot of people do have feelings about um about who does a better spider-man and peter parker some people rank toby mcguire as the best one so i'm curious to see that ranking and to hear the reasons um as a person who has opinions as well rank the spider-man rank the peter's parker <laughs> uh and and do that for per movie so give us your ranking of spider-man in uh, and they got to be Spider-Man movies, so don't give us like Civil War and then Infinity War and Endgame. We don't need that. So give us Homecoming and Far From Home. Give us your rankings for Spider-Man as a Spider-Man, as a Peter Parker uh, in there. Uh, and then we'll figure out how were we ranking them as a Spider-Man because Miles Morales is a totally you know separate character, a totally different conversation to have when we get to into the that's, that's a that's a good point because I would also put Nick Cage very high <laughs> on my list of Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean at, at a certain I mean when we get to into the Spider-Verse, do we just rank all of those Spider-Men too, and we just have a Spider-Man battle I royale? Maybe. I mean, I do think. A Spider-Man Brant Steel is very likely at some point in the future where all of the Spider-Men are battling each other. I love that. I think maybe. I think maybe. <laughs> so we're going to... So I think next next week is sort of like the, the, the Spider-Man setup. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to delve into origins of the character, I think. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the formation of the character, his portrayal across various media, our feelings on Spider-Man, our history with Spider-Man, because uh, I think we did a really thorough job talking about him from an MCU context. Um, but I think that there's just a lot more to, to even get into just to set up before we get into the Sam Raimi stuff. Uh, so... Get all of that in super at postshowrecaps.com. That is still the way to send us your scores. Best way by far. Um, and if you've got further Spider-Man thoughts, you know, it's a fun way to talk to Kevin and I about all of that by signing up for the Post Show Recaps Patreon and joining the Discord where Kevin and I are talking to people all the time. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. If that is something that sounds interesting to you, it is our community hub where conversations happen all the time. We drop a podcast. We talk about what happened in the podcast and we keep it going on in the discord. So if that sounds fun for you as we're embarking on Spider-Man, uh, give that, give that a listen, uh, give that a look. So we're going to, we're going to do Spider-Man next week. We're going to do Spider-Man for the next several weeks. We'll do WandaVision as soon as WandaVision starts. If that means we got to be doubling up, Lord help us. We'll double up. We'll figure out how to do it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen. So that's the, that's the game plan for the next several weeks of the podcast. Kevin, we've got Mandalorian coverage coming here. 
on Post Show Recaps. You and I are recording our first official recap of The Mandalorian Season 2 with LaTanya Starks uh, in less than 24 hours from me saying these words. Really excited to get into Mando with you. Oh, yes. You. I'm very pumped. The, 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 the first episode has gotten me so excited and like, Oh man, I I, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts and thoughts so on it. Good. It's really good. It's just it, it's so weird how that show takes me back to like a different time. Like we talked about this movie taking me back to like the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. This sort of Mando has 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 done a very similar thing about the storytelling of the time. This like weekly format that I I I remember from like Young Indiana Jones and Hercules, you know, legendary journeys that just has this like style to it that I I didn't know I was nostalgic for, but apparently I'm very nostalgic for. Yeah, I'm pumped. I think this is going to be uh, a fun period of podcasting between Mandalorian and all the stuff that we're still going to get into on on the Super Podcast. So make sure you're subscribed. Do the thing. Subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back next week. Getting our thoughts on Spider-Man officially on the board. We're going we're going into the Spider-Verse. Not that movie yet. We'll we'll end. And don't forget. Uh, But we're getting into bring us more pictures of (laughs) Spider-Man. More pictures of Spider-Man. All right, we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.